jambalaya and justice, personality and pokeballs, lingua and love, the Help Yourself Podcast, where in every episode, Brian and Nick invite you to help yourself to bite-sized philosophy. Welcome to Food and Philosophy with Brian and Nick. I'm Nick. And I'm Brian. And we are nerds of a feather. What you eating, Brian? <laughs> I was just, right when you said that, I was like, flock together? Like, nerds <laughs> of a feather flock together? That's weird. Anyway. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> what? It threw me off, man. Right at the what? beginning. I can't even get off the... <laughs> <laughs> what are you eating? Uh, so, well, I am... Uh, actually ate a little while ago i'll be honest but i um i've been on a little bit of a fitness tear trying to make sure that i'm keeping track of calories and carbs fat and protein seeing if i can lose some weight and and get better at the gym and just be just feel better overall so what i made for myself is in essence a open-faced sausage mcmuffin it's uh I use a whole wheat English muffin and then I make some egg whites and in a little, actually it's in a little uh, dish that makes them into a little patty shape. And then uh, had a couple of sausage patties and some thin sliced provolone cheese that go on them. And uh, it turns out pretty, they're turkey sausage. So they're low fat and the thin sliced provolone cheese is about um, 40 calories per slice. So it's pretty low calorie um, and pretty low fat. And so, uh, but it feels like I'm eating a McDonald's sausage muffin, which I, which I love because, because <laughs> it's greasy and it's comfort food, if you will. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I had that, but I, because there's two sausage patties and the, uh, egg whites puff up a little bit, I eat it open face just because it's, it's a little bit cumbersome to eat the whole thing at once, but, but very enjoyable. I'd recommend it to anybody who is looking for something healthy and sort of quick to make for breakfast. It takes a few minutes to, I do everything in the microwave, so it takes a few mm-hmm. minutes to get that stuff done. I don't cook stuff on the stove for that particular thing, but, uh, but yeah, good. I'm, my, my belly's full. My mind is open. I took my vitamins. I'm crystal clear right now, ready to go. Good man. So you had, it was a turkey sausage, mm-hmm. egg white. Egg whites. And yeah. Provolone cheese open open face and it's a whole, a whole wheat muffin whole wheat muffin yeah so pretty much the healthiest version of a an egg mcmuffin sausage egg mcmuffin that you could have yeah yeah and it can't honestly it doesn't it doesn't really matter if you do the whole wheat the only reason i did that is because i had those on hand in the refrigerator and but mm-hmm. i've eaten i've done it with regular just the regular english muffin you know variety uh and uh, I've done it with regular cheese too. It's just a matter of how how you want that breakdown to come out, that you know carb, protein, fat breakdown to come down on the other end. And through trial and error, you know, I put a thick slice of like Tillamook sharp cheddar cheese on there and go, whoa, that's twelve grams of fat for one <laughs> slice of cheese. Whoa. <laughs> so so like so I, I looked sort of looked around the supermarket and said, well, how can I still have cheese on there? but just not kill, kill it so much in the, in that department. So found these thin slices 
uh, it's regular cheese, but it's just sliced but thinner. So each slice is a little bit less uh, calories and fat and everything else. So, so I still get the taste of the cheese and a little bit of melty, ooey gooey, so soft and chewy uh, <laughs> kind of stuff. The mouth feels important. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, unfortunately one of my downfalls in my gaining weight is I am like a cheese monster. So if I'm really eating poorly, I'm putting cheese on everything, like everything. And that's just in, in a way it's good. Obviously yeah, it's protein, it's a dairy product and everything like that, but it's a lot of fat and it's, uh, it's, you know, there's better sources of protein and better sources of other things. Um, that, uh, you know, that you can get in. So, um, so it's, you know, you have to make the choices. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I've been sort of trial and error getting, you know, getting sort of honing it down a little bit, trying to see if I can keep myself in a calorie deficit and lose some weight and stuff like that. So, so good news is it's working. So I've lost about, let's see, lost about 19 pounds. So, um, so, so it's working now that's over like seven weeks. So it's not like I did it overnight or whatever, but, um, but basically, um, yeah, I'm just working towards trying to, trying to be better in the, uh, I guess what's the, what's the, uh, the wagon wheel. I'm, I'm trying to get my fitness, uh, fitness wagon wheel spoke to be a little uh, bit yeah. bigger. <laughs> in the uh, in the self help variety, you know. Right. Like there's. Like I will other- say I'm deficient and I'm deficient in other things, but. Uh, oh, there we go. I've got a little. I don't ever use this. Thing. You can't read it, can you? Yeah, there's, I can't. What does that say? Opportunity. No, career. Careers a slice, and then there's community. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Nick Nick is showing me a a actually a, a like a spiral notebook that has a. But health is one of them. Health. Yeah. <laughs> It actually has a wagon wheel, empty wagon wheel in it, and you can fill it out uh, as you see fit. I assume that has more, so you can like fill it out and then recheck in and fill more out later and see where yep. you're at. That's the idea. For like self-assessment. Yep, but I've yet to use it, and I even have it close at hand. Hey, you know the best kind of self-help thing is one that you buy and you put it in your drawer. That totally helps, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> You want everyone, and, and then even better, really, is the stuff you put on the shelf for everyone to see, so they think yes. you did it, but you didn't. Yes. You haven't yeah. Actually, you know, ironically, that's a that's a conversation I just had with my wife, because you're watching all these zooms, right? So you watch the news, and a lot of those people are coming at you from their apartment. Now, some of them have the virtual background, so you can tell when they do that, but a lot of them are like in their study or their library, their home office, and they've got bookshelves behind them. And I turned to my wife one day, I was watching one and I said, do you think that they like actually look at those books and like pick exact books? And she's like, oh yeah, absolutely. Like they go through every book and everyone has a meaning and like, oh, this is going to say that you're smart. And this one's going to say, so here's the funny part. The one lady I was watching, I said, huh. When she said that, when my wife said that, so I was like looking, like squinting and looking at the books behind her dead above, like literally like a light bulb over her head, mm-hmm. little tiny picture of Einstein right above, like centered, <laughs> centered over her head. I'm not even kidding you. And I was like, she has a picture of Einstein. So like, you know, she put that right there to like give a little subliminal, like, 
hey, uh, I'm as smart as Einstein, you know? <laughs> We're recording. <laughs> lunch <laughs> delivery? Is lunch, lunch delivery? Yeah. <laughs> Your uh, down, downstairs Uber Eats got there. Yes, yeah, my home... <laughs> Your delivery, my, your delivery dudettes. My epic eats. <laughs> epic eats, yeah. Anyway, I thought that was, I thought it was hilarious because, like, I started looking at the books, and hmm? obviously, I don't know all the books that were on her shelf, but I bet you, if you looked them all up, it was like, oh, this is a book about, you know, South American, you know, political history, and she's like a political correspondent, or you know, or some correspondent or whatever. So. Hmm. Right. I thought that was funny. <laughs> well, some of it too is um, virtue signaling, right? Like they'll have what are the most popular books in these segments that they want is their target audience. They'll put it in the back so that there's sort of like that, uh, well, either virtue signaling or the um, reciprocity. Mm-hmm. It's implicit validation. When yeah. I see one of my favorite books over somebody's shoulder, then, then oh yeah. yeah, they're like me. I like yeah. this person. They, they, they like the books I like, or at least some of the books I like. Well, and also the thing I was going to say is the, um, the, if they put on like the most popular books right now, like if they put some that are like top, you know, New York times top seller, like the, the there's five out of the 10 from the, you know, New York times top sellers list right now or bestsellers list. It shows that you're current, like you're a current person that pays attention to things that are going on currently right now. And you know what I mean? So like, I'm sure they have, I wouldn't be surprised if they have people that pay, that they pay to tell them like, which book should I, Hey, what are the best books for me to put based on my history and who I am and what I'm talking about? You know, you and and I should start a firm where we, we actually lease out or rent out, you know, (laughs) handpicked libraries for people to stuff behind them for cars and, you know, CNBC live broadcasts and everything. I bet you there's virtual backgrounds. I would think there's probably virtual backgrounds that people are like pre-made with these books. And they're like, Oh, this is the 12 books that are going to be right over your left shoulder, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and talking about, <laughs> talking well, about we can do that, that too, right? Like that's, that's the, the base package or the, the economy right. package of product where you, we, we made the background, you know, we took a, we got all the books together and took yeah. a picture of it and for 12 bucks you can have the picture. Right. But if you want to go real deal and give us like what a month's notice. Yeah. For 1200 bucks, we'll send you all right. the books you need in your background library to have so that it's the real deal. It doesn't look like a cheap background. Well, and they could actually uh, like send and say, Hey, you have to send us a picture of your shelf, your shelf configuration. And we could actually you do a diagram where you're like, okay, put mm-hmm. these books here put this one and then lay this book on its side going this way so that it, that one is more readable because it's going to be, you know, instead of having to cock your head to one side, you're able to like look at it and go, Oh, I can tell exactly what that book is. There was, there was one I saw where their, their bookshelf background was kind of sparse, mm-hmm. but they're a published author, published author. Yeah. And so he, he just put like six or seven copies of his book arranged towards the camera so that you could not see his book and, and right the and the, the way it looks on the cover so that you know yeah what he's saying going yeah that's hilarious that's like <laughs> it's so funny how contrived a lot of things are you know i mean it's 
it's just everything is a game. Everything is a, well, hey, I, I got to have a certain impression. And I know that that industry, you know, being on TV and in entertainment, if you will, even if you're a news person, you're in the entertainment industry and overall. And, and I know that all of that is based on perception. Uh, a lot of it is based on perception is how are they? And the, the, the other thing is that if you can ha create a perception without somebody knowing that you're trying to create a perception, that's even better. So it's, it's mm -hmm. like, if you can, if people will just like, I don't know, when I watch that person, I just feel confident in what they're saying or whatever. And you're like, yeah, that's because I have a, like a Ming vase that's right here and that like, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's, it's kind of a necessary evil. I feel like, I mean, sure. People abuse it all the time. You know, like politicians or whatever have consultants on what exact suit they should wear at which yeah. rally to get the most voters and whatever else. Right. But then we, we have to do it too, like in a job interview or whenever we're making a first impression, which anytime anybody is on TV, they're expecting to be making a first impression because there's always right. some new viewer who's, you know, breezing in. Yeah. Um, and we, we do that too. Like it's just, we're, if we're honest, so to speak, then we're trying to provide symbols that suggest who we are. Yeah. Like when, when I try to, when I try to drop a signal of some kind or a symbol for, for me, it's to try to show people something I'm interested in. Right. They're interested in it too. Then that can be something we connect on. Right. Right. <clears throat> um, but yeah, that, it can obviously be taken too far, but I think it's kind of a necessary evil if, if it's considered evil. Well, it's sort of like what the, what they were, what we, what has been said about you have a certain amount of time to make a first impression in any presentation. So the average person though might be put in that position, what 30, 50, 30 to 50 times in their lifetime, you know, but the person that's on the news every day, Literally, they could be put in that position every day where they have 30 seconds to, to captivate your attention before you change the channel or turn the TV off. Right. And it's, it's just they have more, yeah, so they have like more opportunity to actually really, really dial in in terms of creating that impression. So, And because they've been so focused on it for so long, they, they'll have made an art and a science out of it. Right, right. So what's uh, what's on your plate right now? Not not metaphorically, but literally, what's on your plate? <laughs> I have a a Bubba burger. Oh yeah, the grocery store that uh, and it's been injected with some cheese. Nice. Hey, and you can't go wrong. It's carb free. <laughs> okay. Um, so are you doing like now? Are you are you doing like a low carb like keto kind of thing? Are you are you? Uh, just trying to cut carbs or Modif it's a modified keto <laughs> it's okay. modified carb you know low carb i mean basically we're we're just eating through the carbs that we have in the house yeah and then not buying new carbs got it exception being dory insists on having ice cream and that's that's her prerogative it's fine you got to have something i'm sure there's carbs i'm sneaking in without realizing it um well, on that you know, i mean it's you've got to have it at some point it's not good not to have it uh, I know that the, there's a big craze out there to do keto and all that stuff, but I mean, your, your body needs that. It needs, needs, it needs a balance there, you know? So it's just a matter of good carbs versus bad carbs. I mean, Hey, I already like, have an imbalance. 
carbs. <laughs> I already have a steady store of carbs to. Uh, I mean, what happened with me is I'm I'm still eating carbs. It's just, I'm eating different carbs. Like I'm just not eating eating as much. Like I mean, like pizza. Mm-hmm. Like he's like, oh yeah, that's high in carbs. But in you know, I'm not eating that kind of carbs. I'm getting my carbs from places that are less. You know, I don't want to say less processed, but they're just they're more like a like you know, like a baked potato or a baked sweet potato or sweet potato puffs or you know also yeah. got a sweet potato here right exactly also cream and butter well little fat doesn't hurt you know <laughs> mm-hmm. well that's good mm-hmm. there is a thing um, I think it's called glucogenesis so where like the reason we need carbs is because we need glucose. Mm-hmm. But our body actually has the ability to generate its own glucose. Right. So to some extent, if you need carbs, it'll just create the carbs. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm sure that I'm oversimplifying this. And any nutritionist who's yeah. looking this is yeah. going you know, hey, we don't claim to, we don't claim to be nutritionists. We're just saying what we're doing. You know, I'm, I'm just parroting what I keep hearing in my echo chamber. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> Everyone has their own favorite echo chamber that validates their existing decisions. Well, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, the way that I it's been described to me from the person who's coaching me right now is, uh, and part of the thing with my weight loss is trying to trying to lose weight, but not lose muscle. So, cause I've got, mm-hmm. you know, I basically have, I have enough muscle mass according to the scale that I use at the gym. Like they have a, they have like a, it's called an in body. So it gives you like a breakdown of your, your body fat percentage and your, your, your skeletal muscle mass and all of that stuff. Right. So according to that, I don't need to lose any, I don't need to lose or gain any muscle. It, it says, literally, it says you need to lose about 40 pounds of fat, <laughs> which is impossible. You can't really lose weight and just lose fat. So you just have to try to limit the amount of muscle loss. And so the way that he's explained it to me is if you don't eat enough carbs, even if you're eating protein, which is the source for your muscles, you know, that that's the, obviously this building, building blocks for muscles. If you don't eat enough carbs, then at some point, if you're working out, your body's going to look someplace for energy and if you're you know hope you're hoping that that goes to fat that it's going to go to the stored fat for your energy source but if you don't eat enough carbs then you haven't put that glucose in your muscles and so when you work out it may actually look to look someplace and it might say hey i'm going to pull an energy source from your muscles so you're going to lose muscle mass mm-hmm. and so the idea is if you can keep your muscle mass and lose your fat which like i said is not possible to do it perfectly but if you can keep your muscle mass, then that means that you can continue to eat the same amount of calories because ca- your, your muscles are going to burn fat, or excuse me, burn calories faster than your fat is. Right. So, exactly. so if you have, you know, so if you're a lean individual, then you're going to be, your metabolism is going to be very high and you're actually going to be able to eat. It's going to be a little bit more forgiving in terms of what you can eat and how many calories you can ingest. And so, you we, know. I mean, we've increased our activity greatly. We, we exercise. Like 20 minutes every day. Yeah. Sometimes five times a week instead of seven, but yeah, you know, at least, at least five times uh, a week. 
That's good. And most most of the time, I'll I'll use weights, so it's it's an aerobic exercise. Yeah, I'll have like one pound or three pound weights as I'm flailing my arms everywhere. Yeah, and that that's done a lot. Like I've seen better muscle definition, and um, I'll, I'll do I don't know, like twenty something push-ups occasionally, yeah. trying to yeah. Never underestimate the small amount of weight. Like I know it's like. Mm-hmm you know, sometimes the ego gets in the way and you're like, I have these little tiny like things, but you know what? You do that over and over and over, you know, uh, sometimes at our gym, we have workouts like that, where it's like, these are super light weights, but you're going to do like a thousand reps or whatever, you know, not a thousand, but you know, you're just going right. to, you're going to burn that muscle out until right. you can't go anymore. You know? And the uh, the yeah. aggregation of small actions. Right. right. Exactly. And over time, repeated over time. Yeah. But it, you know, I've always heard that the, like you said, the more muscle mass you have, then the higher your metabolism. Yeah. So it's like, well, I'll I'll eat a little better, regular, yeah. consistently. Like we we have smoothies too now. Yeah, that's what I've been doing a lot of. So it's actually. we'll get some of the fiber from the fruit and the sweet, mm-hmm. you know, and hydration. Um, I'll do. I'll say mine are like a combo protein shake slash smoothie. Like I'll add some frozen fruit in there. Um, but I also put in some like protein powder to, to get some protein in and things like that. But it's a, uh, it, uh, many times it's because I have calories left at the end of the night and I don't want to eat something solid. So mm-hmm. I just build a, I build a shake that fits what I want it to fit, like in terms of protein, fat and carbs. And then I just blend it all up and eat it or drink it, you know, um, so that it's easier to digest and stuff like that. So, you know. Cool. What's your dog doing? <laughs> Sorry, I was good. I was just gonna ask if you could hear my dog. She, I don't know. She, uh, she doesn't like when people approach our house. Uh, so if they're delivering us packages or mm-hmm. anything like that, she, she doesn't. And we've tried to train her a little bit. She's really smart, but uh, tried to train her a little bit. She has a, a bark collar that um, we can do uh, just noise, like it'll beep. Like we have a button of remote, so we can press the remote and it will beep. And then it also will vibrate. So we have one and you can set the level. So you can do like, you know, levels one through 16 of vibration. And then it also has shock on it, but we don't use the shock part. We just, we just, uh, the vibration is enough to get her to deter her a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just that um, I'm the alpha. And so I'm not out there right now. My kids are out there. So, (laughs) so, so she's, she's running wild at this point. Right, she's got to step up and protect in daddy's absence. Right, exactly, exactly. So, she's a good dog, though. She doesn't. Uh, she just. She she has a few a few things that probably could be trained out of her. She's still young. She's she she's going on three years old. She'll be three and she's about two and a half. So she'll be three in January. So, cool. yeah, still sort of got some puppy stuff, you know, but. Right. <clears throat> So what did, what did you want to talk about today? I thought we could talk about something that is near and dear to both of our hearts, which is the Toastmasters program. Oh, yeah. We have both spent a considerable amount of time working with and in the Toastmasters program. And we've both been a, you know, members for a number of years and both of us have stepped up to leadership roles within not only our club, but 
also at our district level. So uh, even sort of a higher level of leadership, you know, reaching out to other clubs. I think that we're, as we'll get into, like, I think we're uniquely fortunate in that our club is very strong. And the, even though this pandemic and us having to meet remotely has affected us, it's, uh, it hasn't affected us as harshly as a lot of other clubs that you and I have seen. <clears throat> a lot of clubs are having a hard time dealing with that, not being able to be face-to-face anymore. So well, as we are right now, we're, we're, we're doing this uh, podcast, not face-to-face. But, but the, the bottom line is that I think that uh, we've, because we've had the, that fortunate, you know, part of our life be a strong club that we've, both of us have put our fingerprint on in different ways, you know, and helped mm-hmm. it to become even stronger. I think that it's, uh, it still is, um, it, it behooves us to step up and be leaders for other people because and this is the point that I'm getting to is you and I are both big believers in the Toastmasters program and what it does for you as an individual, what it can do for you in your personal and your professional life. And, and I think that that is the, the biggest thing that we have noticed. Uh, I think you and I are both on the same page as this. The biggest thing that we've noticed is that people don't know what it is. In fact, I'll tell you a story. Today I was at the gym. Well, tell us what it is. I'll tell you a story. I was at the gym this morning and talking to one of the newest coaches. He's just, just been hired on and he's still training. Like he's still in in training session. He's a trainer in training. He's a trainer in training. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So really nice guy cares about people. And he was asking me what I'm doing over the weekend. I said, Oh, well, I'm, I'm in Toastmasters. Have you heard of Toastmasters? And he's like, no, actually I haven't heard of that. And that's the response that I get more often than not when I tell people what that is. Either, either yes, I've heard of that, I have no idea what it is, or no, I've never heard of that. And it's been around for almost 100 years, and it's a great program. So, so for, the, for the listeners, I guess, uh, benefit. So Toastmasters is an international company, if you will, a nonprofit organization that's uh, that is based basically assists people in learning how to become better at public speaking and presenting as well as becoming better leaders. And the way that they do that is by having a program that's set up that you actually just go through and do the work. So it's not a teaching, it's not a class where you, they teach you how to do something or something like that. It's a, Hey, you know how you're going to learn how to public speak? We're going to put you in front of an audience. We're going to give you a, some type of a constraint, some type of a quote unquote assignment, you can pick your topic, but you got to talk for four to six or five to seven or eight to 12 or however many minutes that assignment is. And you're going to learn by going through that uh, same. And then on the leadership side, it's the same thing is we're going to put you in a leadership role. We're going to put you in the role. Like the example that one of our district leaders gave on a call I was on the other day said, Hey, if you walked into a company and said, Hey, I want to be your VP of uh, PR. Like, I don't have any experience in that, but I, that's what I want to do. So can you hire me for that? They would laugh you out of there and say, no, you can't get hired to do our PR. We have PR people that do our PR, you know? <laughs> but in Toastmasters, guess what? We can give you a position that simulates being a VP of PR. Actually, there is an actual position called 
vice president of public relations for a club. And your job is to promote the club and do other things. Now, each of the officer's roles have different things. So you can put yourself in that position and learn how to become a leader for other people and learn a skill when there's really no consequence for failure. So if you, you know, if you are an actual VP of PR and you mess up, there's a chance that they're not, they're not going to keep you on, that they're going to ask you to leave or that you're going to be the first one to be downsized or, Hey, this isn't the, the, the old, uh, Hey, this isn't working out conversation, <laughs> that kind of thing. So Toastmasters allows you to, allows you to have a sort of a, a playing field that allows you to practice on without the fear of repercussions for, Hey, I was giving this presentation and I blanked out completely and I had no idea what I was talking about and I had to start over. Okay, great. You know what your, your fellow Toastmaster is going to say, okay, well, yeah, so that happened. So how are we going to fix it next time? And, and that's the, uh, like that's all those, the Toastmasters all those mistakes. It's like all those mistakes that everybody makes when they're learning to speak publicly, yep. get those out of the way in an environment where everyone else is trying to get theirs out of the way and learn together. Right. In a supportive, positive environment where people can give you constructive feedback and say, hey, if you really want to get better at this, then I'm going to tell you next time, try it this way. Just try it. If it doesn't work, you know, that's testing the, testing the fences. You know, you, you, yeah. You basically say, yeah, you know what? That didn't work for me. Okay. Let's, let's brainstorm and do something else. How, how about this? What about, how about you try it this way? Um, say, and now even more so, uh, one of the other big things that it allows you to work on is using technology. So you've got a lot of people now who are going to be doing presentations remotely, working remotely, have daily meetings remotely, all of these things. And at some point you might be asked to be the, you know, the Zoom master or whatever, you know, you might be asked, asked to be the person that leads and sends out the invitation a zoom meeting and guess what if you do that in toastmasters before you do that it's going to be no sweat when your boss asks you hey i want you to make this presentation and just send out the invitation for zoom you go no problem got it you know um, the thing that i tell people about my experience is before toastmasters if somebody had asked me to speak in public and give a presentation my automatic thought i might say yes but my automatic thought in my brain was no i can't do that I can't, I can't, I can't do that. That's, oh my gosh, when is it going to be? How, how do I, do, you know? So after Toastmasters, when I got into it and I started realizing that I could speak in public, now my response is sure. Where, when, what's the topic? How long do I have? Um, how is it going to be now with, you know, is it going to be a remote thing? Or are you going to bring me onto the Zoom? Do I need to be in person? So the, the mentality for me is I'm not, I don't fear the speaking anymore. I still have the nervousness, just like everybody else. You're never going to get around when somebody asks you to give a presentation, but you realize that that nervousness is a normal part of the process when somebody says, hey, I want you to stand in front of a group of people or sit at your desk in front of a group of people that are on a computer screen, and I want you to talk to them. And, and so it's, uh, that's, I guess that's in a, in a nutshell what the program is, but I, I think that uh, I think we wanted to sort of parse it out a little bit more and just see or sort of sh share with the audience and share with our listeners what 
it can do for you and, um, and, and sort of maybe get into the program a little bit and, you know, see exactly how that works and maybe even some of the history as well. Sure. Well, I think for, for me, the, the benefits are general, which I don't know, can be, can be kind of boring, can sound kind of boring, but it also means that's where the most impact is. Like in, I, I used to get pretty nervous about job interviews and that literally job interviews will make or break your career. It's, it's a milestone moment, right? Um, and thanks to things like table topics and, you know, learning to present myself well before an audience mm-hmm. <laughs> for the, for the first time we were um, talking briefly before that about, you know, how to, how to dress, posture, body language, uh, tonality, all of that can be really hard to convey when you're nervous, when, when you're just anxious out of your mind. But through exposure therapy and something like Toastmasters, you can curb some of that anxiety. And really, the job interview, the typical, the, the standard scenario that everyone thinks of, is really just the first step. And why I say that is, yeah, you've convinced the boss to hire you. You've convinced your, your would-be boss or the hiring manager to trust in you, that you're competent, you know what you're doing. But now you're just one of many colleagues. You're one of many employees. And there's a hierarchy in the org chart. There's a hierarchy at HR, but there's also a hierarchy within the social structure you're being embedded. You know, that, yeah, just because there's a manager and five people on the team, well, you know there's a pecking order within that. And I hate to sound so Cavalier and Machiavellian, but I mispronounced Machiavelli. Um, <laughs> but but there's, there is that there, and, and there's always those moments, and you have your own kind of interview at the first team meeting, and they go around the room to introduce themselves, right? And you yeah. introduce yourself because mm-hmm. you're a new team member, and they, at least they have some idea of what everyone does on a day-to-day basis. And that is the second interview is when you can give your name, talk about your experience and do it within one to two minutes without losing everyone, without filling with a bunch of ums and ahs or just barely answering the questions. So the next person can, can go. Yeah. You've established yourself as someone who is confident and competent. Sure. Those are like the top two. Well, two of the top five things people look for when they first meet somebody, I'd say like for kindness would definitely be another one, but confidence and competence are the hardest things to get right. Cause when you first meet somebody, especially if it's a high pressure situation, you're not feeling the confidence. Right. And you're probably questioning your competence too. If you're smart, you just got hired. You don't know what everyone else knows. And you don't know that you're the smartest person or the best person for the job. You just know you got, you did good enough in the interview to get the job. Right. So it's, it's important to know and have experiential knowledge to back that stuff up. Uh, and Toastmasters can help prepare you. It doesn't help prepare explicitly. It, it's like you were, you kind of alluded to it being a sandbox where it's, you know, it's safe. It's, it's yeah. safe to make mistakes, but it, it's, it's not just a sandbox. It's not, 
coming off the cuff here, it's like a holodeck or a virtual reality environment mm-hmm. <laughs> where it, it, much of it feels real. You're going through the feelings of anxiety and nervousness and, okay, what do I do to prepare? Yeah. Having, but also having someone to talk to who's done this before, having lots of people to talk to who's done this before. Right. And having that guidance and knowing that even though you're, even though it feels real, knowing in your back of your mind that you can try again next time. Um, so it's just this perfect marriage between a kind learning environment, like a sandbox, like school, but mm-hmm. a learning environment where you're sink or swim, you're, you're learning from by doing. I will say that one of the things that I have thought about is that it is Toastmasters is an organization that is like self-help to the extreme. And the reason I say that is because there's, I think there's a lot of people who read a lot of self-help, but you and I being two of them, <laughs> we, we read a lot of self-help books and personal improvement. And yeah, you're, you're looking at your bookshelf. Is that what you're, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you, we're, we're, we're in this life and wanting to actually have a good experience and have, do the best we can with what we have, what we got, if you will, and be as productive as we can be, uh, you know, like helping to other people and things like that and serve. And I feel like there's a lot of people who read books about that. And to some extent, it gives you a little bit of a boost because you're like, oh yeah, that sounds good. That's a good idea. Like, to, and I've been guilty of this. I'm not, I'm not out of this group is you read a book and go, well, that's a really good idea of like how to deal with this productivity issue that I'm dealing with or my time management skills or, Hey, dealing with interpersonal relationships. Oh gosh, this is great. I should read this because this helps me to understand other people. Right. Mm-hmm. But none of that forces you to do it. None of that says, Hey, we're going to help you because, Oh, I mean, they all, obviously every book has a call to action. Every book is like, you need to go do this right now and you need to follow this system and it'll work, trust me. And the idea is that, um, you know, the idea is that Toastmasters takes it that step further and they have that sort of, you know, yeah, we're gonna show you and we're gonna tell you and give you suggestions. Um, So, you know, the idea is, but we're going to also make you do it. So you're going to, you're, that's what you're going to, that's how you're going to learn. And that's how we're going to give you your self-help. So I feel like that's probably a good, pretty, pretty good introduction to Toastmasters. I think maybe we can continue the conversation um, and just in our next episode and talk about, just get a little bit into more of the nuts and bolts of maybe the leadership and where that is, I, I also would like to, you know, you mentioned something when you were talking about it, you, you mentioned table topics and a lot of our audience might not even know what table topics are. So maybe get into a, a few of those things like how, what's a typical meeting look like and how often do these clubs meet and what exactly, you know, what exactly do I get and do I do as a member? Uh, same thing you would get if you were entering a company and they said, hey, here's how the sort of, here's how the whole big picture is. And here's your little part of that picture. So maybe we can dive down a little bit into that and hopefully show the audience 
or demonstrate to the audience that that it could be something that's worth their while. It's at, at most a couple hours a week, a week, but the idea is if you really do it a couple hours a week over the course of years like you and I have, you'll see tremendous results for sure. There's no, there's no, uh, if you just do the program, you're going to see some results. I don't know what those results are, but you'll see improvement in various things. And the cool thing about it is it's all up to you. What do you want to improve upon? Some people, most people get into it for public speaking, but then I think a lot of people realize later, wow, the leadership thing is really cool because I get to actually serve in a sort of a higher role and I get to help other people as I've gained this knowledge um, and show them what the program is and how it, how it works and not necessarily how it works, but how to get a more, more beneficial relationship between you and the, and the Toastmasters program. That makes sense. Sure. And you were saying talk about those things next time. Oh, we or, can, or just the leadership part that you wanted to talk about next time. Oh no, just the, uh, just the leadership part. Um, okay. Maybe we can, how about this? Let's go into talking about, maybe you can take us through a typical meeting. You've been to multiple clubs. Um, so each, you know, you know that each club has slight variations, but yeah, you can, you can maybe take us through and describe the different roles, describe how long a typical meeting is, how often they meet, the clubs meet and things like that. And we can just have a discussion about that. Sure. Well, I would say that in my experience, a club meeting is generally anywhere from one hour to one and a half hours. And there's three like large segments. The, the big, big pieces of a meeting are, are comprised of three. There's the, how to say it. there's prepared content. Yeah. Then there's extemporaneous content. And then there's the evaluation and feedback portion, right? So right. their prepared content is largely prepared speeches. You, you, that's where the projects are done. That's what Toastmasters, if it's known for anything, is that it's you know public speaking and getting better at it. But lots of times a meeting will have things that lead up to it. Uh, those might be jokes or word of the day, an introduction to the roles and, and um, the, the agenda, even an invocation and pledge, just things like that to soften the crowd, maybe even ease the, the nerves of the people who prepared to speak. Mm -hmm. Then there's also the extemporaneous portion where it's almost kind of a game that's played amongst the members where someone will get up and ask questions and call on someone to answer that question as a, as a little micro speech and those run one to two minutes. So the, the topics master as they're called will ask their question and then whoever's called on has one to two minutes to respond to that question. And the questions are always something along the lines that like any, anybody should be able to have something to say about that. Even if it's a question like what's your favorite sports team? Well, the, the person could answer, well, you know, funnily enough, I don't, care much for sports because of this, this, or that, or go in and talk about something else about how they're not interested in sports. Um, but it's, it's not going to be like a math question or a trigonometry yeah. question. It's, it's not going to be specialized knowledge. It's going to be something like, 
tell me about a time where you felt this or it might be an interview, like a typical interview question, lots of different things. Um, so yeah, and that's the, and that's the table topics you were talking about. Right, That's table topics. Yeah. That's the extemporaneous speaking portion. And those yeah. ones are great too, because mm -hmm. even though I feel like I'm pretty much a talker, they, they still challenge you because they're, they can be from, they can be any subject matter about yeah. anything. I mean, it's actually even harder than when you go into an interview because technically they could ask you questions. I mean, they have the typical interview questions of like, where do you see yourself in five years? And what do you, you know, what's your biggest weakness and things like that. But, you know, ideally, uh, you know, the, the, the table topics ones can literally come out of left field where you're like, oh my gosh, I had no clue. Not only that, but some of them, some, some I've, I've broken them down into like multiple different things. So you've got questions that are hard, that seem hard and are hard. Right? <laughs> so like when you hear the question, your brain automatically is like the, the gears in your brain automatically like go into hyperdrive. Right. Or they just stall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or you're like, I have no idea what I'm going to say to that if they call on me. Right. <laughs> then you have questions in my mind that are seemingly easy but actually are difficult. And those are like the variety in my mind of like, you know, describe, uh, and if you're doing it legitimately, I'm saying, tell me uh, what your favorite color is and why. And you have to talk about that for one to two minutes, which yeah. is not a long time to talk about it, but that's a very, very small subject matter. Like my favorite color is blue and I like it because my eyes are blue. Okay, that's 12 seconds or five seconds or whatever it was, right? So, so that's a seemingly innocent or easy question that is difficult. And then you have, on the other side of that, I feel like you have questions that are, uh, that are easy, seem easy and are easy. And mm -hmm. the, those ones, it just, that depends on you. That's more individual than anything else. Because every once in a while, they'll just ask you a question. Like one of the things, and actually, and as you've been a member for longer, you'll get, you, you hear questions over like not over and over but like you'll hear yeah, questions, or, questions or variations on questions mm -hmm. you know what i mean so like one of them is one of the ones that i've heard multiple times is describe somebody who's been an inspiration to you in your life so far and not that i have like a pat answer to that but the first time i heard it i was like oh gosh you have to like go back in the memory banks and go oh gosh who is that what you know why are they inspirational to me all this stuff but then you've then once you've had that one time where somebody asked that question and you've sort of like rolled around in your brain a minute, you you came up with probably one or two names that you're like, well, I could say that person or that person and describe it in this way. And then the second time you heard it, you hear the question, you're like, okay, I already have that person. Like I know. So like one of the people that's inspirational to me and that was a big impact in my life was my seventh grade US history teacher. And I can tell you exactly why he was inspirational. And I can also bring in, uh, in a two, two minute question that he died of cancer and it was very tragic. So, and I'm not saying it was contrived. That's, con that's a contrived answer, but it's a question that I've heard. And so to me, that question is an easy question. I've got something almost prepared for that. Well, and then in that case, it becomes the, the challenge for you is to yeah. answer in only two minutes. Because yes, you might, if it's easy and you have a lot to say about the topic, well, how are you going to compress that down and say 
right you know enough to yeah. be compelling and to get the gist of something across right all within two minutes yeah and so um yeah i like i said i that's sort of a large diatribe on that on the table topics but well, and the thing too that like why why is table topics valuable i think it prepares you for another aspect of speaking one just not being prepared in general you're being asked to talk about a status of some project in a meeting and you didn't know you were going to get asked that question you didn't yeah. know you were going to have to report on that obviously there's some preparation opportunity for the future there but in that moment you need to be able to speak extemporaneously yeah do interview questions and then also even dinner party conversation people i was going to say that yep. yeah but then there's the other thing that's a bit more affirmative or preparing yourself for your success because when you do start speaking more and gaining leadership and increasing in your career or whatever it is you're endeavoring to do the toastmasters give you this skills or increases your skills to do you're going to get interviewed you're going to be asked questions about you know tell what what gets you up out of the morning or what's your morning routine or you know strange even obscure and sometimes even personal questions that you you do well to have some experience and exposure to those as well yeah yeah i find that uh the 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 table topics and that when you said that the dinner party stuff that's that's a skill that one of the things that I think that everyone at some point is going to need I, I, more so than presentation skills. I think not everybody is going to make a presentation in their life. I, now making a presentation in Toastmasters will help you and it will benefit you because you're going to, you're going to get that experience, but everyone's going to be at a party or at a, an event of some kind where you're around people that you don't know. And I think that in order to, con I, I think that in if you're in it to strictly combat some social anxiety that you might have, table topics. If you're good at table topics and you decide, hey, I'm going to answer answer table topics. If I get called on, I don't care. I'm going to do this in Toastmasters, and I think you see tremendous increases in not only that, but I think also interpersonal communication, like between your spouse or significant other, and uh, and things like that. I think those are the kinds of things where it it might not assist you in your professional life, but socially speaking, you might not have as much anxiety going to a party where you're like, hey, this is my husband's friends or my wife's friends, and I don't know any of them. And I'm gonna have to like talk to them. I can't not talk to them. Right. <laughs> so so they're gonna ask, like, oh, what do you do for a living? And the people with social anxiety, that's a big thing just to say, like, oh, what do you do? Oh, that's great. Even if they're very cordial non-threatening and everything that could be a social experience that is very uh daunting for some people sure. and table topics can take that away i think or at least reduce it greatly that's right yeah function i think too it, it's great even when you're trying to do a prepared speech because if you do forget you lose your place but you've gotten good experience at table topics extemporaneous speaking then you can roll with it that's right you, know, you can Whatever it is that is on your mind, he's like, you know what? This is the way we're going to take this this entire conversation. Yeah, yeah. I think too, it, there's an art to whenever you're trying to express yourself, you've got to find that balance between being honest and interesting. <laughs> yeah. And I think tabletop is something that helps a lot with that, where you you have audience feedback, you get a read of the room. Yeah. Of how 
well your off the cuff expression is being received and you can sort of tweak it. You, you learn little things by having uh, variable inputs and variable attempts. You know, like if you want to be great at basketball, you don't just stand there and take free throw shots every time. Right. You, you go up a little bit, you go up back a little bit, you try to shoot fast, you try to shoot slow, you, yeah. you know, and you generalize to become exceptional um, in the craft. Yeah. The, uh, the third major segment of a Toastmasters meeting is the evaluation section. So every, every prepared speech gets evaluated by an evaluator. And I'm going to jump, before I go further into that, I want to take a moment to talk about why this is valuable. Feedback is an absolutely necessary skill and it is poorly taught and trained, uh, especially today, but I'm sure for several generations where you, you know, how effective really is the, the, um, was it the crap sandwich where you, you give right. a compliment, you tell them how you really feel, then you give a compliment. Yeah. Um, you know, how, how is it you can talk to somebody with a fragile ego and let them know that their behavior is not acceptable? Mm -hmm. Th those are sort of the generalized things. But in this case, it's simply someone gave a speech. They're trying to learn to speak better, right? So they're probably not a professional paid speaker. And even if they are, chances are good they made a little mistake. How can you talk to them in a way where they they realize they did a lot of things well and they realize that there's ways they can improve? Um, you get practice in that the more and more you pr participate in the evaluation. Um, also, it's the benefit for the speaker too, right? They're there to get better. They need to know what they're doing well and what they're not doing well. Yeah. You don't want them working on coming up with anecdotes, which I don't think that's really a thing we measure. A vocal variety, that's something we measure. Yeah. You don't want to like tell them nothing about vocal variety, even though they did great at it, because that they may take that as they need to keep working on it. When right. what they need to work on is their body language. They just, they just get up there and have a great voice, but they look like a robot. They need to know yeah. that and, um, and how to package that. That's where you get a lot of um, experience and exposure there. I mean, you can learn a lot your first few days just by watching other people get evaluated. That's right. Um, yeah. And there's other parts of evaluation where somebody's in charge of watching the time. Yeah. Someone's in charge of watching the grammar of yeah. speeches and table topics and then another person sometimes the same as the the grammar person they will watch the filled pauses or the crutch yeah. words like uh um like so and yep so. and we all have them we all have them some are some are worse than others but we all have those in people, our everyday speech they have verbal tics like i always like to count those but like it's it's almost as if people are reading their speech in their head and yes. every every period gets a they yep. like, will tick their tongue against the the ceiling in the back of their top teeth. Yes. Yeah. Was, yeah, I was thinking things. Well, and, and going back to like what you were talking about before, I I think that for me, the two things that I like about, or the two things I think that are the most valuable about 
the evaluation portion of the meeting is first of all, I think that it's very important that you get immediate feedback. Yes. So that feedback like that, I'm doing this thing and then I get feedback immediately. You don't get a thing that's like, like for instance, at your work, you might get an annual review or a semi-annual review, right? Well, they could be giving you feedback on stuff that happened six months ago or 12 months ago, yeah. right? It's, it's not right. immediate feedback. And how are you supposed to correct something unless you get that immediately? So that's why they package the meeting that way. They, meaning Toastmasters International, that's why the meeting is packaged that way because they recognized very early on that the way to improve is to do the thing that you're trying to improve upon but then immediately somebody says, here's what, you need to, here's what you need to improve on. Here's what you did well. Uh, here's something to challenge yourself maybe for the next time. Do that. Yep. The second thing I think is great, I think you mentioned it too, is the, the, that evaluation is not something that's taught generally in school and or in the professional life. It's just not a skill that is taught. But I think a big portion of evaluation and actually the heart of evaluation is the skill that I think Toastmasters wants you to work on when you're an evaluator or when you're in any one of those other roles, grammarian, timer, uh, uh, ah counter, as I said to Oz. <laughs> yeah. But, but the, the idea is they wanted you, they wanted you to make sure to, that you understood that a big portion of you being able to evaluate someone is listening. Because when you're evaluating someone's speeches, you got to like tune in, focus, and really watch and listen what that person is doing. And that's not something that we do. We do so many things where we have our computer in front of us and we've got our phone to our left and we've got a TV on that's behind the thing and we've got all these things going on. And this is one time when Toastmasters is like, no, you need to be focused completely on that person. And I think not only does it, does it give you that benefit? But how many times in life do we have somebody that is completely focused on us and what we're doing and in an effort to make it, make us do better or make us improve in that, whatever we're doing very rarely. So for, for that to be that way, I think that's so valuable in, in how they have that structured. Sure. And that, that immediate feedback is one of those things that, distinguish a kind learning environment from a wicked one. You know, like a wicked environment might be, um, well, I was going to say the stock market, but even that is kind of quote unquote kind because there's immediate feedback of prices going up and down day to day and hour by hour. But um, um, I'll say, I'll say that I'll say you could, you could interpret law school as, as a, as a wicked, wicked learning environment. That's, that's a non-forgiving <laughs> I went to, I went to a rel relatively low key kind of law well, school. Oh, I, sorry if I could, I got an example. Like oh, a, go ahead. A long-term relationship that, that can be a wicked environment from a perspective of feedback because you don't necessarily know you're failing your relationship right away. Yeah. That's something that happens slowly over time or you might not even realize your partner's failing you right away. <laughs> that might happen right. slowly over time. Right. Whereas say something like, um, school, you, you take a test and you find out pretty quickly whether yeah. you passed or failed. Or if you say something goofy um, to your boss, you might not ever realize it until it comes up in your annual review, like you were saying. Right. Or it might not even come up in your annual review. You just, you just stopped getting 
invited to important meetings because you, you know, just, yeah, they don't even know why they, they don't want to invite you to meetings anymore, but it's just because you set them off. Right. But with this immediate feedback, that's a kind learning environment. If you're, if you're learning to play chess very well or trying to play a video game really well or a card game, you find out pretty quick whether you're winning or losing. Yeah. Right. You, the, and that means you can excel more quickly because you know you can course correct more quickly after the behavior. You can learn what to do and what not to do. Um, so, yeah, that, I came up with some really bad examples for a wicked learning environment. <laughs> <laughs> it's just life, you know. The, 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 basically, the, the longer the distance between cause and effect, the harder it is to excel in that environment. Yeah. Um, and with public speaking, that is generally the case with presenting and trying to become just effective in communication. That's a wicked learning environment. And what Toastmasters does is it makes it a little more kind or even yeah. a lot more kind. Yeah. Where you, you can learn what does and doesn't work more quickly through practice, um, a little bit of trial and error, but in a low judgment zone. Yeah. Well, and circling back to what we talked about in the beginning of this that uh i mean at the beginning of this conversation about toastmasters is that what's great i think about the different three major components of the meeting is you've got a place for everyone at every level of toastmasters if that makes sense so you've got a position and you've got things in the meeting that someone can do that it's hey that's this is our i just signed up i i paid my dues and i am now a member and I'm not ready to make my first presentation yet, full-blown presentation and get up there by myself behind the lectern and do all that stuff. But you got to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. So there are, yeah, so there are roles where you can get up, either get up and speak or, uh, or speak from your seat that allow you to be the person that is, has the floor for, you know, a minute, 30 seconds, so you can start with, hey, let's just get you talking in front of this group of 15 to 25 people. Mm -hmm. That's all we're asking right now is that's your starting point. And then we, we move you up into getting, you know, doing longer presentations. So then you might get called on for a table topic. So you're going from 30 to 45 seconds to one to two minutes. You're, you're, you're going, you know, possibly and then evaluation. You didn't say that, but generally the evaluations are two to three minutes. So as soon as you've had a few spe speeches under your belt where you've actually spoken, uh, typically then you'll you'll get those uh, you'll get those uh, assignments as well. And there's even a, a gradient for the hosting aspect, where you know you could be a topics master, where for a little bit in a little way you're kind of hosting the meeting for a very brief period of time. Right. And then when you're the the general evaluator, the person in charge of the evaluation team and evaluating the meeting in general, you're playing kind of a host and a leader there, but even for a, a little longer. Yeah. Um, with, you know, brief minor introduction necessities and things like that. But then there's the, the host of the meeting itself, which is someone who's the host from pretty much the beginning to the end. Of right. The and that's a, another kind of gradient, right? So even for people who are somewhat experienced, they've given a few speeches, the meetings are familiar to them. Well, then it's time for them to start playing with that host concept, which is also a great segue into leadership. It's, it's almost like the first few steps of leadership. So there's these 
layers of of competence that you build over time and you, you can start small mm-hmm. build up and then play with another uh, gradient while you're building up in, in the one you started on. Yeah. And I, I think that's, I never really actually thought about it that way, but it's, it's totally true is that, and, and I have noticed this though. I've noticed that people will join, as I said before, typically the, the average person joins and says, I want to be better at speaking or we have a few members in our club actually that their boss retired or quit or did whatever and said, Hey, you're going to be doing these presentations from now on. So all of a sudden they're put in a position where they're, it's not, they don't have a choice. So they're like looking for something that they are, how can I improve this skill? And Toastmaster Toastmasters fits that bill more so than going to take an, a course that's a, uh, you know, a course that, that is just a, a compartmentalized like, okay, for the next six weeks, we're going to teach you how to public speak because this is something that can, you, you're going to continually learn, even professional public speakers are going to continually learn how to do better. Um, obviously, professional speakers, they learn probably on the job training. They're getting paid while they're doing it. But the idea is that you can get the same experience that a professional speaker does in having different roles and things like that. So, so it, but and the thing that I was trying to say is that these, where people typically will get into the, the Toastmasters environment and say, I want to learn how to public speak, but then they evolve at some point into, yeah, you know, uh, I want to, I want to learn how to, I, I've seen these other people in these leadership roles and I want to experience that. And one of the things that I, my experience had is that I, I joined so that I could be better at public speaking. But then when I started to get into the leadership roles, guess what? I got a lot of opportunities to speak in public. So I I actually tell people that I probably learned as much, if not more from about public speaking and about actually a lot of times about speaking off the cuff and presenting to people by taking on leadership roles than I did going through the books and doing the presentations and assignments that are assigned in those, you know, in that program. So we we subconsciously correlate the two pretty closely. Like if someone's up there speaking, then clearly they're a leader in their field. They know what they're talking about. Right. They're a thought leader. um, And whoever's most confident is also the leader. And it takes a lot of confidence to speak publicly. Right. I think, I don't know that we're so rational about it, but I, I do think that, if you can speak up, you're thought to be a leader, just like viscerally, you know? Right, right. Um, there's, that, there's that old saying, like, uh, I've heard it in terms of money, but they're like, hey, the person with the marker at the front of the room is making the most money in the room. You know, like, <laughs> and, and that, that's, that, and, but at the same time, I think that it, the, you know, not necessarily true, but certainly what you said is that if somebody's in front of the room and they're talking, on some level, you're like, well, he must know what he's talking about, or she knows, you know, they know what they're talking about because they're up there and they're doing it. So, and they could not know what they're talking about, but our perception is that. So, right. Uh, so long as they don't it, do anything that directly conflicts with that assumption. Right. Right. Well, so, that's good. Like I said, I think that's I think that's a good overview of sort of the meeting and mm-hmm. some of the benefits they can have. But I think next time we talk about some of those other leadership roles and talk about that sort of they used to have two tracks you know the speaking track and the leadership track so i think today we 
inadvertently maybe talked most about the speaking track, learning how to become a better public speaker. But maybe next time we can talk about the quote unquote leadership track. I'm going on the old uh, program, but we'll talk about that in the next one as well. Uh, uh, where, you know, where we can talk about leadership opportunities and how that benefits you. Uh, and obviously I've already alluded to that a little bit, but we can, we can sort of dive into that a little bit more. Does that sound good? Yeah. And, and there's other episodes where we'll have that uh, aren't Toastmasters. This, this isn't like a closet Toastmasters podcast. Right. This is something that, I mean, it's what brought Brian and I together and it's something we both share and know. And uh, there'll, there'll be a lot of other fun topics we cover in episodes um, past these two or, or few. Certainly. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've beat that dead horse. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> why, why do we have a horse in here anyway? What is going on here? Anyway. Whose horse is this? <laughs> well, tune in next time for more interesting food and philosophy with Brian and Nick. And I'm Brian. And I'm Nick. And we will talk to you later. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from Help Yourself, you can follow on Instagram at helpyourselfthepodcast. And to contact Brian and Nick, email helpyourself at brynick.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>